Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. From Nashville, Tennessee, and broadcasting around the world. Ladies and gentlemen, you have now crossed over to the far side. Our guest this evening is a paranormal expert by the name of Richard Southall. Richard, to date, has written three books, How to Be a Ghost Hunter, Haunted Route 66, and the latest is Haunted Plantations of the South. And for your convenience, we've linked to the Amazon page for Haunted Plantations of the South with a short URL and that is thefarside.tv slash hauntedplantations. And now, without further ado, Richard, welcome to The Far Side. Why, thank you, and thank you for having me as a guest. I appreciate that very much. It's great to have you here with us. I've been reading your book, and I really enjoy it. What I really found interesting is that, unlike other ghost story-related books that I've read, you actually spent time on the history of each location. Well, how I look at it is, can you truly appreciate a haunting without knowing the history behind it? I think it's important for people to know why a place is haunted. Um, sure, we can have apparitions, we can have EVPs, but there's really an extra level of, you know, oh, there's an actual, how can I put it? Um, it's very important to be able to know who it is that we might be picking up as an EVP or who that uh, apparition may have been. I mean, it's just, I think it's important because, well, think about it. Ghosts were people too. They have their stories. Yes, so. they do. Do you feel that by addressing the individual history that you are able to add a bit of humanity back into these lives of the spirits? Oh, absolutely. Um, with any haunting, there's an emotional connection. Um, whenever I did uh, Haunted Route 66, whenever people were, you know, creating the, the cities, they were creating their, their life story, so to speak, they put an emotional connection into it. Same thing with the plantations. I mean, the plantations go back all the way to the mid-1700s. And between the slaves, between the plantation owners, and between the Civil War soldiers, absolutely, they each have their story. When we're talking about plantations, some individuals are, are going to be wondering, what's the difference between a plantation of the Old South and a farm with slave labor? S slave labor, if I can speak. <laughs> but, <laughs> Well, actually, according to the National Register of Historic Places, currently there's about 650 and 1,000 plantations throughout 18 separate states. To be considered a plantation, um, an end of, a, a place needed to have at least 600 acres and at least 20 slaves to work the property. Mm -hmm. So that would be how you can differentiate a plantation from a farm. 
Oh, okay. In your book, Haunted Plantations of the South, you have listed, I'm, I'm flipping through the pages right now, Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Virginia. And I'm, I've noticed that my home state, as I mentioned earlier, is missing from this. Well, for that, I wholeheartedly apologize for the oversight. Um, <laughs> that might give me room to write haunt, Haunted Plantations Revisited. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> then what I will do as a personal favor to you, I will put many stories about Tennessee. I, I know maybe two or three at the top of my head. There's uh, the Hermitage, which was the home of yes. President Andrew Jackson. And then there's Belle Mead Mansion, which I've also heard is haunted. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that the Bell Farm would be. Is that a farm or is it a plantation? The Bell, the Bell Witch area. I'd have to do some checking on it, and again, whenever I would write about plantations, I'd still have to go by the, I'd still have to go by the requirements of um, having at least uh, 600 acres and at least 20 slaves, if that would make sense. Mm -hmm. It does. Okay, so I, in order to, for the, um, for me to write about it, I'd have to have some kind of parameters to to follow. Mm -hmm. Now, with the Hermitage, I believe it has 1,000 acres. And I imagine that President Jackson owned hundreds of slaves. Then that would meet the requirements. Yes. So. As I was speaking about earlier, President Jackson himself is said to have haunted his former house, riding up and down the stairs with a horse. I mean, that would have been awesome to view. Oh, absolutely. And then absolutely. we also have the apparitions of those enslaved by the president. That might actually be worth researching. I tell you what, what I'll do is um, I will do some research on it and I will put an article together and put it on the Llewellyn website or put it together in a blog and, and send you a link to it. How's that? That sounds good. And if ever you're down this way, physically research it, just reach out to me and we'll go out there together. I would love that. That sounds great. I mean, we're not too far away from each other now. No. What percentage of these haunted plantations are inhabited by intelligent spirits and not just an energetic recording? Well, again, I would say, again, there's close to a thousand plantations, uh, and they're going to be divided into different categories. You're going to have private residences. You're going to be having museums. You're going to be having state parks and bed and breakfast. Um, there's going to be some of these locations that are absolutely going to embrace the idea of a haunting. Other places are going to suppress it. So really, it's kind of hard to get a distinct, an, an actual number. But um, if I had to, I'd probably say about three quarters of the haunted plantation houses would be recordings and the other um, quarter would be actually of the spirits. I think there's a difference between the two. And mm -hmm. I so, yeah, I believe there's a, a very distinct difference between ghosts and spirits. So, What was it that led you into the paranormal? Oh, well, when I was in my early teens, maybe 13 or 14, uh, my family and I moved into a small farmhouse in, in Evans, West Virginia, which isn't too far from Ripley, West Virginia. Um, when we moved in, um, turns out that... Shortly afterwards, I started hearing this sound like somebody coming down the steps from the second floor to the first floor mm. as if they were wearing very heavy boots. Um, 
I originally thought it was my brother, okay? I thought he was a few years older than me. He liked to play jokes. You know, it was one of those things. However, one night we were watching TV, and we both heard it. So needless to say, it wasn't, um, it wasn't him playing a joke on me. Um, and I started asking around some neighbors and so on and so forth, and apparently there had been similar experiences by former tenants of the house. So it wasn't just us. It just so there was actually an apparition of a Confederate soldier that had been seen in there in the past too. Now, so that kind of piqued my curiosity, and so I started to ask neighbors and, and friends about other things that may have been going on. And turns out I lived about 20 or so miles north of Point Pleasant, West Virginia. And that's the home of the infamous Mothman. Uh, John Keel wrote about it in mm -hmm. um, yeah, 1975. They, um, there's been a Mothman festival since 2002. Um, so, yeah, I started doing some research on that. We went to, um, to a place called the TNT area, which was pretty much a munitions depot outside um, of the Point Pleasant area. And just one thing led to another. I talked to people and... From then on, I, I became hooked. So I started to try to find other stories. I started to do my own investigations. Um, and this was, if you keep in mind, this was back in the mid-80s. And usually there weren't too many paranormal groups per se, not like today. So I, I pretty much had to do my own investigation and come up with my own techniques. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes your life chooses you. It certainly does. Now, you were saying you, you had to start up with your own unique techniques. Yes. What were you doing back then? Well, um, I usually had a few friends of mine. We Maybe a group of three or four of us. Um, and we realized that in order to get a true appreciation of a haunting, we needed to talk with the people that had actually witnessed it. Um, so, and I started to do paranormal investigation. Um, I started to interview the people. I started to collect data. And only after I was able to get the information together, only then was when I actually visited a haunted site. I wanted to be prepared. Um, now, there's a difference between ghost hunting and, and paranormal investigation. So, and I just wanted to point that out. We did paranormal investigation. So... So we didn't have all of the um, – we didn't have the electronic equipment. We did have a um, cassette recorder. We had cameras and so on and so forth. But we, we went old school with it. What so. do you think is the main difference between a ghost hunter and a paranormal investigator? Well, I think in some cases in regards to paranormal investigation, um, again, most of the – most of the investigation takes place by interviewing the people, by interviewing eyewitnesses, doing research, um, actually going to a place called the library, which some of our younger readers <laughs> may or may not know about. Uh, Google it. You'll see what I mean. Um, and just getting factual data in order to get um, some information before you go to a haunted site. Um, I think that in regards to ghost hunting, I think it's more for an entertainment aspect. I think that in a lot of cases, uh, are there ghost hunts at haunted places? Yes. Um, is there as much research completed? Probably not. 
I mean, now granted, now in some cases, whenever somebody goes on a ghost hunt, they can get some amazing EVPs or they can get some wonderful um, photographs. But do they actually know why a place is haunted? I mean, the, do you see the difference? That's, that's kind of like what I'm getting at. No, I do. Okay. Back in 2008, my father, uh, he had died three times at the Vanderbilt Hospital. And he, w he eventually came back. We went to visit him after he was already awake. And he, he started pointing at me and asking mom, who was that boy? She told him, that's her son, Bob. And he's like, no, who is that boy? He, he was pointing toward me, but he was not talking about this person. And then later on, I guess a couple of days later, we left the Vanderbilt Hospital again. And the ceiling fan in the house started turning around by itself. Mom called me out from the bedroom I was in, told me about it. I was like, so what? The ceiling fan is turned on. I mean, that's the most possible solution. Right. But it wasn't. Hmm. So I said something must have followed us here from the hospital. It stopped. That it very easily could have happened. It also could have been a sign. Sometimes whenever somebody's close to death or right at the moment of death, you'll get things like that. You'll get the things like the ceiling fan, maybe lights turning mm -hmm. off. Um, I've even heard of cases, actually, I know of people that whenever they're on their way from a hospital or a nursing home, when the person passes on, the radio itself will actually turn on, almost as like an indication that that person has moved on. Yeah. Well, so, well my dad had lived that time. He actually just died May the 12th. And at the funeral home, we had a beautiful arrangement for him, red, white, and blue. He was an Army soldier yes. back in Vietnam. And it was, it was a beautiful vase, like I said. It was up on a base that there was no way it could have fell off. But s somehow it was pushed off as if there was actual physical force behind it. So maybe he was trying to get a message to you. Oh, we knew what that was. My dad's just like I am. If, if he can mess around with you and have fun, he's going to do it. <laughs> That's what it's about. And what better way to mess with somebody than if, if you're a spirit? They can't see you. Right. I would do it. <laughs> well, maybe maybe one day we will. How's that? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and that's just it. That would be having the sentience in regards to a haunting. Uh, most of the hauntings are recordings. I think that you don't necessarily have that sentience. Um, if somebody did something over and over again uh, and they kind of leave an impression – or if there was a traumatic event, it sometimes leaves an impression, it plays back. Um, what you're talking about was more likely a spiritual experience um, where there's some sentience involved. Um, usually in, in that regard, if there's a spirit, there's going to be a person may not realize that they are dead yet. Um, or a person simply wanting to pass a message on. Or they have unfinished business. It, it sounds like in his case, he was just um, wanting to give a final message, so to speak. Yes. He was like, I'm here. Yep. <laughs> I, I, I was sitting beside of him at the casket, you know, just talking to him, just like he was there. That's the way I am. And I was like, so dad, what do you think about all these people crying? And I just figured he'd be like, I don't like this shit. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I, I'm going to get censored. Oh wait, it's the internet. I can't get censored. Gotta love it. Yeah. When you are talking about, and when we're talking about, energy recordings for most of these hauntings 
as far as the surroundings, what is capturing the images, the sound, everything? Well, I think it's, I think it could be the ground. I think it could be the buildings. I think it could be any number of things. Matter of fact, there's one of the stories that I go into, I believe it's in Georgia, and there's a, there's a uh, plantation where I'm trying to find the story. It's called Antebellum Plantation in Stone Mountain, Georgia. It's a, it's a park. What was happening was that it's a state park where different parts of the other plantations were brought there. We've got um, slave quarters. We've got uh, other places. There's actually eight buildings. The interesting thing is, um, I'll give you an example. There's a place called the Thornton House. It was originally built in 1790. Um, it was um, actually the oldest building at the antebellum plantation but after it was moved there's been an apparition of a 10 year old seen uh, in a bedroom on the second floor now if it was actually the haunting was actually connected to the the ground or the property the apparition would have um, stayed in the original site so in essence it moved with the building mm. Um, and there's also another one called Graves Plantation. It was originally a building that was built several miles away in 1830. Now, in that being the case, it was moved, and there is another haunting associated with it. Um, in this case, it was actually the sounds of people in in conversation or in singing, um, believed to be slaves at that point, but. Oftentimes, that is accompanied by a dramatic decrease in temperature. Now, those two examples right there show me that it could be the actual building itself that is, um, that is actually recording the haunting, so to speak. It, it, so. Yeah. I'm thinking back that some ancient Egyptian pottery that they've also come to find out has recorded sounds or something yes. like that. I have heard that before, yes. You could actually play them back. Um, I have heard that. Yeah, so that could make sense right there. It would. I mean, I think, I mean, again, considering my background of the paranormal, I think it's normal. I think it's a part of life that a lot of people in mainstream science, they don't necessarily want to pursue or they they try to find other things to pursue. I mean, I think with enough research, I'm I'm pretty much almost guaranteed that we're going to find a rational scientific explanation for these hauntings. Um, I try to be analytical about things. I try not to jump to conclusions or be gullible about mm -hmm. things. So um, I'm a skeptical believer, if you will. Let's <laughs> just put it there. Yeah. So. With these re recorded hauntings, in your opinion, would it be possible that they are not really recorded on anything, but they are in fact happening in a alternate dimension, as in whatever has happened in the past is continuing even now because energy does not end. Based on Einstein, yeah, energy cannot be created nor destroyed. You know, that makes sense. I've not really gone into the alternate dimension aspect of things. Um, the way I would look at it, you mentioned the recordings a few moments ago. I'm thinking like if you've got a record that tends to skip and it plays the same thing again and again. That's what I, that's the slant I tend to take. Okay. Um, that's just my opinion. But again, you've got so many different um, wonderful ideas of, out there. Um, I don't know a great deal about the alternate dimensions. 
Well, neither so, do I. I've never been there. But if neither, I if I'm ever there, I'll let you know. Sounds like sounds like a plan. I'll send you an invitation. <laughs> okay. At your introduction, the very beginning, it says you've always been intrigued by and attracted to Antebellum South, the Antebellum South, the Civil War, and the Reconstruction Era. Yes. Have you ever considered that maybe you lived in a past life in that time? No, you are not the first person to um, ask me that. And I've had several people, I'd say probably in the last six months, um, since whenever I was starting to, actually in the last year when I started writing the book and uh, going over it with some you know, friends, loved ones, a few that I had chosen to kind of let them proofread and... Mm -hmm. There were several of them that asked me that before. Um, you know, that is something to consider. I, I know I'm getting into genealogy, and I'm definitely, definitely attracted to that time period. I don't know everything about it, but I am learning. Um, but yeah, you're not the first one to ask me, and I, I think I'd like to delve into that, maybe do a regression or something along those lines. But there's something there. That might there's, be helpful because you, usually if somebody has a – deep love or a deep connection, more than likely you've been involved in that period or right. that area. Now, usually there might be two different ways. I mean, do I believe in reincarnation? Absolutely. Um, but that's one option. And also it could be that if you've got relatives, you know, great grandparents, great, great grandparents. And if in essence we are created from our parents, it would, you know, the same and so on and so forth, mm -hmm. could it be that we are also picking up and having that sense of deja vu in some cases based on an event that had taken place in the past? That's so maybe just So I look at it from one of those two ways. Yes, that is very interesting because we look like our parents. Their DNA goes to us. What if it's possible that some of their memories also somehow passes on to us makes sense but obviously it's all the way in the back in the back vault if you will what we think is reincarnation we're actually remembering things that we've never experienced but it's been transferred to us over the years right now and that's getting a little wild but hey yeah. you never know you never know and again it's one of those things where if you are attracted to a certain time period it's important not to be contaminated um, in regards to media and to regards to um, wanting to believe that something to the extent that you'll jump to conclusions about things and back to the whole thing about hauntings sometimes a shadow is just a shadow mm -hmm. so if that makes any sense but um, but there are times it's just that little tiny voice in the back of your head saying, there's something to this place, or I've been there before. So, And I've, I've had that before. Um, I definitely would love to visit some of these plantations firsthand. So, oh, I know. Whenever I was doing the research on them, there were certain ones. I mean, I, I can't give you a specific... Um, specific one right now but because I had actually narrowed it down from over 200 plantations but there were a few of them that really caught my attention I would love to go to the Myrtle plantation I've heard so much about it oh yeah um, that's actually one of the most haunted plantations out there the Myrtles my gosh mm -hmm. um, do you know this I guess you know the story about 
Myrtles and, and Chloe and so on and so forth. Yes, I know some of it from watching TV and reading books. But okay. Do you want to share that story with us? Sure. Um, actually, there was a... Um, there was actually a man by the name of Clark Woodruff. He was in charge of the uh, Myrtles Plantation. And, well, soon he started having an affair with a house servant named Chloe. Now, there are really two types of servants or slaves at, the, at most plantations. There was um, the ones who worked on the inside and ones who worked on the outside. And usually the ones who worked on the inside wore white clothing to distinguish them from the the outside workers, but he got close to a woman by the name of Chloe. Um, it went on for several months, and Clark ended up not paying attention to her anymore, and the long and short of it was he started to pay attention to yet another house servant. So Chloe was afraid that she was going to be asked to leave the plantation house, and so what she did, she started to eavesdrop on, on Clark Woodruff's um, conversations. Now, he found out about it, got absolutely irate, and chopped off her ear. Mm. So um, after that point, she always wore a green turban or scarf to cover up the fact that she didn't have an ear. So, But long and short of it is she stayed in the house. She was a trusted family servant, and there was a birthday party that was coming up. And it turns out that she was asked to bake a cake. Well, what she did was that... She ended up adding oleander leaves to it, and as we all know, oleander is poisonous. So what her thought was was that if she could get the family out of the way, then she could have a good chance of um, oh, having the affections of uh, Clark uh, returned. Now, thing is, turns out that uh, Woodruff's wife, Clark Woodruff's wife, and children ate the cake and died. Now, he didn't eat any of the cake, so he was unharmed, but it turned out that um, the other slaves found out about Chloe. What they did, they took her and they hanged her, and they actually threw her body into a nearby river. Um, that being the case, from that point on, there have been apparitions of a woman that, that fits Chloe's description. She has been seen in several locations throughout the, um, you know, throughout the plantation house itself. Another thing that's kind of interesting I would love to see is there's actually a mirror that, um, that if you actually go and look at the mirror, if you look at it at a certain direction, you can, according to legend, you can actually see the handprints of some of the ghosts. Or if you continue to stare, you can actually see the faces of some of the ghosts that are associated with it. Wow. Now that would be something I would love to see. Mm -hmm. Did Chloe try and kill the children herself or, or was that an accident? Uh, well, if she put the oleander leaves into the um, into the cake mix, I wouldn't think that would be too much of an accident. So. That's true. I was thinking back that I was watching some program. I forgot exactly what it was. Might have been on the History Channel Discovery, where she was trying to kill him, but she did not mean for the cake to be around the children. Okay, so the way I understood it, and the research I did, um, was that it was pretty much he, it was intentional. I may. I may be mistaken, but uh, I've gone to several different sources, and most of the sources indicated that it was intentional. But mm -hmm. I, 
I will look at that. And that's one of the interesting things about doing research for this book is that whenever I was doing the research, sometimes I would get conflicting information. And what I had to do was in order to try to make the stories as accurate as possible, I would have to take a look at each individual piece and, and weigh them. Um, now, there's a difference between an actual haunting and a legend, so to speak. Um, now, let me go back a little bit. If you think about Haunted Route 66, I put together, it was like over 125 stories, I believe. And I was able to sort out actual stories from the legends. Um, with, in regards to legends, if somebody, we've all heard of the Phantom Hitchhiker, if someone's mm -hmm picking up somebody, they end up talking, and then a few miles down the road, the, the apparition disappears. That, to me, would be a legend because there's no name, there's no, um, you know, there's no distinct history, and it's something that's found in almost every state. Um, in regards to the plantations, uh, you're going to be having some stories that are... Um, that pretty much are ghost stories. And, and what I had to do was be able to distinguish those from the um, actual hauntings. And that's why in some cases I put the history – actually in all cases, I would put the history of the plantation before the story so that it would offer more credence and offer more of a foundation as to why a place would be haunted. Uh, you were talking about the haunted uh, haunted hitchhikers. Yes. My brother had a similar experience, but it wasn't really a hitchhiker. Him and his best friend back in the 80s, they were driving around at night, and my brother saw a woman in a wedding dress, and the wedding dress was torn, and she was crying, just walking uh -huh. the street. And he thought he recognized her. He looked back, and she was no longer there. I okay. don't know how long it was between then and the incident, but... His best friend and his best friend's girlfriend, they were in a terrible accident. They were engaged to get married, and it, essentially that never happened because of that. They both lived, but she ended up having amnesia, and, uh -huh. her, and, and her parents pretty much tore them apart. Somehow, he was seeing, that not necessarily her spirit, but he was seeing a manifestation of a future event in a ghostly form. Almost like a gnomon, so to speak. Yes. Have you ever heard about those? Well, if you take a look at the whole story of the Mothman, my gosh, yes. It turns out that um, a, originally when, um, when John Keel wrote the Mothman prophecies, I mean, you talk about over the entire summer of, uh, well, 1966 and 1967, that had been seen several times. And it turns out that after December 15th of 1967 with the Silver Bridge collapse, he had actually been seen just up to that point. And, and after the Silver Bridge collapse, collapse on December 15th, he wasn't seen again. Now, in recent years, it turns out that before there was a, any kind of a major catastrophe, there has been a sighting of the Mothman. So, um, also, I mean, it, back to the whole thing about oh, omens, if you will. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the stories I go over is um, it's actually called the Gaineswood Plantation out of Demopolis, Alabama. Mm -hmm. um, and the long and short of it was that um, there was a man by the name of 
Nathan Whitfield. He moved um, to Demopolis from North Carolina. He ended up buying a small plantation from a man by the name of George Gaines. The long and short of it was he changed the name of the plantation to Gaineswood as a way of honoring his friend, you know. But if that the plantation itself was always in danger of a flooding. So over a 20-year period, he had several of his slaves dig a drainage ditch that was a mile long and in some cases 25 to 30 feet deep to prevent the, the plantation house from being flooded. It, it took so long simply because of the amount of clay and rock that they had to dig through. Now, it turns out that that was finished it, and in the late 1850s. And close to the drainage ditch, uh, there was – on March 1st of 1858, there was a ship by the name – the Eliza Battle. It was actually making a trip from Columbus, Alabama to Demopolis. Now – and it turns out that there was at least one of the servants or slaves that was actually at that drainage ditch just looking over the river. It turns out that the Eliza Battle um, had a crew of 45 members, had – a uh, thousand bales of cotton and about 55 passengers. Now, it was about one or two in the morning, and one of the crew members decided to stay warm. He lit a small fire. It spread and consumed the entire ship. Um, the ship and the captain, in order to try to save as many people as possible, he actually tried to um, go to a landing about a mile from the Gaineswood Plantation House. Now, the servant ended up running and waking up the plantation owner, um, and it turns out that at that point, he could see the uh, actual ship burning from his house. It was that large of a fire, and he could hear the screams of the people from mm. inside burning. They. You know, there are people that lived, and they recounted the fact that um, some of these people had a choice of drowning or they had a choice of burning. Now, back to the whole thing about omens. After that took place, uh, there, the sighting of the Eliza battle has, you know, the apparition has shown up usually before a tragedy takes place. So, and I think that's kind of it. Says. Um, yeah, it often be used as a warning that something is about to take place. Just like in the case you were mentioning about the the lady in the in mm -hmm. the um, in the wedding gown or the Mothman or so on and so forth. So, yes, I believe that there are omens. There's the Mothman, and then a little bit further, you also have what is it? The Jersey Devil in the New Jersey. Jersey. Yes. I don't know a great deal about the Jersey Devil. Um, I do know we have something called the Braxton County Monster, which actually took place not too far uh, from where I live now. And and that it was very similar. It was this large eight-foot creature with a um, large red and green head. Um, it looked almost very robotic, but there's actually documentation about that. Um, actually, on my Facebook page, I just put an article about that on this evening. Um, but it took place at roughly the same time as the Mothman. Hmm. And, and also, if you take a look at some of the writings of, of, um, of John Keel and even to a point Gray Barker, um, my gosh, they actually go into detail about experiences like that throughout West Virginia. Um, 
But if anybody wants to go to my Facebook page, it's Richard H. Southall. Do a search for that. That's my page for my book, and I, I've included articles about um, about some of the interesting paranormal events. I've gone into detail about uh, Flinderation Tunnel, which is a place I've investigated. Very, I believe it's very haunted. Um, I'll tell you more about that in a bit. But it, it goes into um, so many different things in this state. Um, but as for the Jersey Devil, I don't know enough. Let's put it this way. I know enough about it that I don't know enough to talk about it. Let's, put it, <laughs> yes. let's just put it, if that makes any sense. It, it, it almost makes me wonder if they're somehow all related, if, if they could be not necessarily the same creature, but within the same species, and they have different names for it. You know? That makes sense. Um, and the thing is, each culture is going to have its own story. Each culture is going to have its own legends and their own types of omens, if you will. Um, it's interesting enough, if you take a look at most of the um, cultures, all of them, to some extent, have stories of the paranormal. Mm-hmm. So if you take a look, I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, just take a look at it from a societal or cultural aspect. So ghost hunting isn't new. Uh, learning and trying to learn about the paranormal isn't new. This, this whole concept of the afterlife and trying to maintain contact with, the after, with people that have passed on, thousands of years old. Yes, thousands. And as we progress, it seems like we're getting closer and closer to making that veil even thinner. Yes, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if in a hundred years we can put on a pair of contact lenses or whatever and see the other side. Um, have you ever seen uh, – there's a TV show. I think it's on TNT. It's, it just started this season. It's called Proof. I just watched the first episode. I guess it was a couple of nights ago. Yes. So – if for something like that to go mainstream and to be taken seriously, absolutely. I think there's going to be quite a few um, changes in our mindset in the next several years. I'd say that within the next 15 to 20 years, we're going to have documentation that we are not alone, you know, with Mars and so on and so forth. Uh, they're pretty much coming very close to saying that right now. Um, and as for the paranormal, um, we're getting more and more research done by people in the field, you know, with very good EVPs, with very good um, photographs, and even, in, you know, with the advances of technology. It's going to be a matter of time before we get some proof. Mm -hmm. As a so, paranormal expert investigator, what do you think it's like to be a spirit and stuck here on the Earth? Um. I've been asked that before too, and the closest I can come to mind, I can think of. You ever see the others? I have. That would almost be the way that I would probably perceive it. And again, you've got to be able to to rule out whether something is truly paranormal or not. And once you've kind of ruled out um, any kind of logical explanation, a very small portion of the things we investigate is actually paranormal. Um, but if back to the whole thing about how they would perceive us, that's anybody's guess. But if I had to make a hypothesis about it, if you will, I would have to say it was probably something very close to the others. Yes, and for anybody who has not seen the others, 
It starred Nicole Kidman. I'm not sure who all else it was, but essentially the ghost thought they were being haunted. Yes. It's just, it's, I think that would be a, if anybody's curious about that, I would recommend that they see the others. That would be my perception on things. Yeah, I, I should have said spoiler alert, but oh uh, well. They can they can Google it. They can find <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah, now, anyway. You had just mentioned that you were going to get back to, I forgot the first name of it. It was some kind of a tunnel. Flinderation Tunnel, yes. Um, I live about 15 miles from that. And turns out we had, um, when I live in the Clarksburg area, it turns out a lot of railroads through the area. And what happened was after the the railways actually closed, uh, the, our state decided to turn uh, some of those railways into bike trails. So they called it the Rails to Trails program. There is a place called Flinderation Tunnel that's probably, like I said, about 15, 20 miles from here. And it's reportedly very haunted. Um, there's a cemetery that's been built upon it um, on top of the tunnel itself. It's a mm. long thousand foot tunnel. Very, very intimidating. I've always liked it. I've, I've, the thing is, the ghosts and things have not scared me. I've always been intrigued. But um, a lot of people tend to go there. I mean, you know, some of the people they ghost hunt rather than do paranormal investigations. But um, there's quite a bit of activity. Um, first of all, if the way I would do an investigation was I'd have two or three separate um, voice recorders uh, separated probably by 50, uh, by 50 to 100 feet so that there wouldn't be interference with one another. Um, we did that. A few friends of, of mine and I did that, and we were able to get several EVPs of squeaks, almost like whenever a train stops. Uh, you, we got some squeaks. Um, didn't get many photographs, but although one of the people did get an impression of somebody wearing a green hat. And hmm. so I'd love to go back there when I have an opportunity. But there was an interesting EVP where my wife was actually with us. And the way we did it, like I said, with the uh, voice recorders, we would have them maybe 50 or more feet apart so that there wouldn't be any, you know, interference. But only later, whenever we brought the recorders back and put them on the computer, we heard the distinct EVP of, that said, I see her. And like, oh, that to me would be the proof that there was something there. Um, plus, you got different um, – we've got an EVP of somebody saying yes. So, I mean, just – it's nearby and – you know, there, there are actually articles about flinderation. Um, I'll see if I can find an updated article and post a link to the Facebook page. How's that? Well, that's great. And I will be posting a link to your Facebook page. Do you also have a website? Um, the website I've got now is it's th through Llewellyn. It's Llewellyn Worldwide. That's the publisher of the uh, Haunted Plantations of the South and Haunted Route 66 and How to Be a Ghost Hunter. But if you go to L-L-E-W-E-L-L-Y-N.com, um, you can find that. Um, so that would be a place where you can find a little bit of a biography of me, uh, some links of other shows, and um, you know, pretty much a description of each of the books. Mm -hmm. 
And I will so. say that Llewellyn's got a bunch of great people working for them. Yes, I, they do. I, yes, they do. I speak with several of them on occasion, and uh, it, you, you couldn't ask for a better bunch of people, in my opinion. No, I think it's one of the most reputable publishers out there um, of this particular genre, if you will. Mm-hmm. So oh. and they they go into more detail than just ghost hunting. They have they have all kinds of things for all different walks of life, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, paranormal UFOs. You've got the tarot, Wicca, and so on and so forth. Yes, with your experience as a paranormal investigator, what do you think about? I think it's called a a, a ghost box that uh, what is it? Ghost adventures and some other places use. I'm mixed. Again, I'm mixed. Um, sometimes what I've got is I've got an – it was an old Radio Shack AM FM um, radio that I hacked and was able to get um, – actually to keep it scanning. I was able to pick up on, on voices like that, but actually a ghost box, um, I think they can be useful. I think that we, whenever we do listen to a ghost box, there needs to be more than one person there to hear the actual words so that they people don't jump to conclusions. Um, going back to what we were saying about leaving an impression or a groove mm-hmm. or a recording, I think that maybe that could be useful in order to, um, to actually pick up part of that recording. So I think it can be useful if, it, if a person knows how to do it properly. Mm-hmm. So does that does that make sense? Yes. The, the biggest issue I have with some of the ones I've seen is that it almost seems like it's a radio scanner and it picks yeah. up random vo- random words. Right. You ever hear of something called matrixing? I have. Okay. That's one thing we've got to be careful of. Um, matrixing is trying to find the familiar out of something random. Um, think about the the face on Mars. Back in... 1976, I believe it was one of the. Um, there was a photograph on Mars in the Sidonia area that absolutely proved that beyond a shadow of a doubt that there was life there. It was the face on Mars. In 2001, later on, it turns out that that was just a trick of the shadow. Um, the same thing works with sounds. We've got to be the the ghost box. It can be useful. It can be a tool. But so many people rely too, in my opinion, rely too much on the technology. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's just a piece of a larger puzzle. So the ghost box is useful in some cases. Combine that with a digital recorder. Combine that with a, um, a camera. Combine that with being able to look at a place realistically and logically. Mm-hmm. And, and taking any kind of emotional connection out of it. Um, you get to play Mr. Spock, just the facts, or Joe Friday, just the facts. Yes. So, I mean, that's how I would look at it. But I also would, hi- I would also um, get the help of somebody that might be a sensitive, so to speak. I've had people that – some people have gifts. Now, these people I would probably pull into some of my paranormal investigations as well. But – we need to look at things, no matter whether it's ghost hunting or paranormal investigation. We need to look at things very methodically so that we can have an accurate investigation. Mm-hmm. Between Route 66, Haunted Route 66, and Haunted Plantations of the South, what are some of your favorite stories from those two books? 
And were any of those stories emotionally or physically tackling you? Well, again, it, all of them are emotional. Again, whenever I did a book, it was whenever I did a story, I got to know the people that the story was about. So there's obviously going to be a connection. Um, there's a neat little place um, in Texas called the Granberry Opera House. Now, it's interesting about this was that um, some people believe that the ghost of John Wilkes Booth actually haunts the place. Now, we all know the story about John Wilkes Booth, the man who assassinated Lincoln in 1865. And most people be believe he actually died in a barn fire. But there are some people believe that he survived it and that he escaped. So turns out that um, there, there's actually a book called The Escape and Suicide of John Wilkes Booth. That's, that's another story. But turns out the long and short of it was several, a few years later that there was a man that moved to Granbury, Texas. Uh, he became a bartender. And he also became and he also got involved in the local theater. Now there were similar there were several similarities between um, this man and um, turns out that his name was um, John Saint Helen. So there's that was his name, John Saint Helen. He would often speak um, he would often speak um, using quotes from Shakespeare, which John Wilkes Booth was known to do. Um, he also walked with a very distinct limp, and he also was a severe alcoholic. Now, the long and short of it was, was what better place than to gain information and have know who's coming to town than being a bartender? So, turns out that a few years after he established himself, um, John St. Helen confided in his doctor, because he thought he was near death, that he in fact was John Wilkes Booth. The doctor excused himself, and whenever he returned, um, the man was gone. How does this involve hauntings? Well, it turns out that in regards to the Granbury Opera House, there have been EVPs recorded of a man quoting Shakespeare. There's also been the smell of very strong alcohol, even though nobody in the area has been drinking. So it's possible that the actual ghost or the recording of John Wilkes Booth was actually in Graham, at the Granbury Opera House in Texas. Um, and as for Route 66, my other favorite one is um, Sam Kennison. That's horrible story, but I thought, you know, thought the world of that man. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. Um, he, anyway, he was killed in an automobile accident in, right outside of Needles, California. It was in April of 92. It turns out that he, there was a kid, 17-year-old boy driving a white pickup truck, uh, T-boned him and pretty much killed him on, on site. He was driving a, a 1989 Trans Am. It turns out that after he died, he actually died on the scene. He, it's been reported that he said he took a few steps, looked up in the sky. I understand, I'm ready, and then he collapsed. But after that time, where the site of the accident took place, there has been an apparition of a um, of a Trans Am. There has been the sound of screeching tires, and also the crash of you know of uh, automobiles colliding. So those would be two of the stories I would say that I would probably like in regards to Route 66. Um, 
man. There's also, if you'd want to say, um, to give you an idea about the personality of some of the people involved in the uh, haunted plantations, there's a place called the Bonaventure Cemetery um, in Thunderbolt, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about the the ghost of the little girl in the cemetery because we all know that story. It's about a little girl that died in 1889 her and and her apparition was seen in her father's hotel plus at, at her gravesite. This goes way back in the, up to 1803. There was a um, guy by the name of Josiah Tatnell. He actually owned the plantation that the that the eventually would become the, the cemetery. Well, anyway, he was a very important quote-unquote socialite. He invited people from um, the upper echelon to a Christmas party. And it turns out that during that Christmas dinner party, um, there was a fire that was, you know, the, the plantation house caught fire. Now, we don't know if it was an accident from the kitchen. We don't know if it was intentionally done. We don't necessarily know if it was an accident from a guest. But he kept his cool, and he asked his servants or his slaves to bring the, all the um, – kitchen tables, I mean, all the dining room tables out, the all the uh, silverware, everything out. And he continued the dinner party on the front lawn while the plantation house was burning to the ground. Wow. Now, if, you can, if you can imagine that. Well, the long and short of it was in that regard was he had, he had 20 more or more guests all sitting around a number of tables. And when the plantation house collapse, he raised a goblet, a wine goblet, in um, the air as a toast and threw it against the trees. And it turns out that all of the people that were his guests, they did likewise. Now, in this particular area of the cemetery, there have been recordings of people laughing and enjoying themselves and the sound of shattering glass. And there have been sounds of that, but also the smells of burning wood. I mean, now if you didn't know the story about the about the Christmas party, you probably wouldn't have understood the uh, or appreciate the personality um, of the person who is haunting the place. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean that's just that just. Whenever I was doing research for the ghost, it was really interesting to see the personalities behind the. The hauntings. It was just amazing. There's the books filled with, um, actually, gosh, almost 70 stories just like that. Like you said before, it really is important that we get to know the people while they were alive, the, uh-huh. the actual stories that took place on the properties. I have a friend who he's into the paranormal, but he's more into the historical aspect of it. Like I had a show about the presidents and UFOs. He probably wouldn't listen to just any random UFO show, but he would listen to that. Anything that has historical relevance, he would listen to. One thing I've discovered is that as somebody, if they really delve into paranormal investigation, they can't help but become historians. They can't help but become aware of legends and and local mythos, so to speak. So that's kind of like a byproduct of paranormal investigation. So that makes perfect sense. What is your favorite parts of being a paranormal investigator? Talking with the people. Um, what there are people that are skeptical, and then once 
you know, and they kind of are cautious about just telling anybody about their experiences. They experience something. They eventually will approach me or talk with me about it. I was able to do the research, and if I can find some validation for what they saw, that to me, that to me is the most satisfying part. Whenever I can show someone that there is a reason for, you know, as to why they saw what they did. Mm-hmm. Now, is your wife ever afraid that you're going to go out on a paranormal investigation and bring something back with you? No, no, probably not. No, I, you know, I've been asked that of uh, there's entities, if you will, that follow you. I've I've been doing this since the 80s, and I've not really had much of an experience with any entities. So, or things following me home, mm-hmm. so to speak. So, Well, you are maybe, lucky. That's what I was going to say. Maybe I'm very fortunate, so, but I've not really had, I've not really had anything follow me, so to speak. Um. Well, like I say, you are definitely lucky. Uh, just that one event at Vanderbilt Hospital, I've learned that hospitals are filled to the brim with spirits, and sometimes they, they will follow you home just like a lost puppy dog. There's something about you that they were attracted to. It might have been my cologne. That could be it. <laughs> that could. Well, think about it. I mean, if using cologne as an example, what happens if somebody had a particular type of cologne or, or if you reminded them of somebody? Yeah, these wayward spirits, they might be confused and they may try to be attracted to something that they feel as they're familiar with. Mm-hmm. So that's what I do sometimes whenever I would do an investigation. Um, if I would do the research and find out Maybe the identity of somebody that, say, if they died in the 1920s or the 1930s, I would go, and this may sound a little bit unorthodox, I would actually go get a few MP3s of music from that time period and play it and then put on the recorders. You'd be surprised about how many more EVPs you could pick up. Interesting. Are they singing along? No, it's just not really, so... But no, it's just you can actually hear little words or even other sounds. But no, mm. not they're not singing along. But well, but you have to keep in mind, ghosts were people too. <laughs> they still are. I mean, I mean, there's yes, really no difference between us and them, besides for the meat body we have. That's true. You want to call it physical? I call it meat. I mean, well, even if you know. If you think of the movie What Dreams May Come with Robin Williams, they describe that as meat. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's and what it is. It is. It is. I actually see our, our bodies almost like a robotic shell, and the spirit is like the controller, the, the operator. Okay. We're actually sitting in ourselves. We're sitting in our bodies with a joystick, you know. That's the way I see it. Yeah. <laughs> The ghost in the machine, so to speak, right? Exactly. Makes sense. And then, and it makes sense that if somebody can come back in another shell, so to speak, or another body, and the consciousness and the sentience. I mean, it's, it's really interesting having conversations with kids that are maybe four or five years old. And whenever they talked about when they were big, whenever they were bigger, or they had talked about going to an ocean when, in fact, they had never seen the water before. Mm-hmm. And then they tend to forget that. Yes. So that's, that's when things get interesting. 
Yes, and and that kind of takes away from what I was what we were talking about earlier that maybe memories are passed down through uh-huh. the generations through DNA because sometimes the people that they remember beings not even related in that right. family. And it could be a whole there there could be so many different pieces of the puzzle. It's not necessarily just ghost hunting. It's not necessarily just um, reincarnation. It's not necessarily just um, uh, molecular um, oh, memory, so to speak. It could be all of the above. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm I'm open-minded to speaking to people with the clergy. I'm open-minded to speaking to skeptics. I'm open-minded to speaking with people that you know have had near-death experiences. Potato, potato. I mean, if you think about it, it's yes. just it could be different aspects of the same thing. And it probably is. Yeah. When you go on your investigations, ghost hunting investigations, as you prefer to call it, are you what some people may call a spirit rescuer? I've had on some gals, and they call themselves spirit rescuers. If they find out that there's an actual spirit, not just a recording, but an actual spirit hunting a place, they try to go out of their way to help the spirit move on. If I'm able to do that, I'll try that. But at that point, if I find out it's really... A spirit is really trapped. What I'll do is I'll possibly refer that to someone that's more sensitive than I am. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there are things I'm good at. There are things I'm not so good at. I can identify it rather than, you know, I don't want to do more harm than good, so to speak. I completely understand that. Do you have any more books that you might be writing right now? <sighs> well, I've got a piece of fiction. It's almost like a paranormal horror story, but um, with my work schedule and and promoting uh, Hana Plantations of the South, I haven't had much of a chance to um, to brush it off, so to speak. Uh, it's about between a hundred and a hundred and twenty pages completed. So, but one day you'll see my name um, as a fiction author. Yes. What I look at it is what I'm doing now is nonfiction, um, and that's the beauty of it. This book, these books can be used as nonfiction. They can be used as a travel guide. They can be used as simply um, collecting legends and folklore. It can be used for any number of genres or audiences. That's that's what I, one of the reasons I wrote the books the way I did. But but other books, yes, I I do want to work on some some fiction. So mm-hmm. it'll be it'll be there sooner rather than later. How's that? Yes. And, and I know you've had some articles in Fate magazine, I believe. Yes. And yes. you are a member of uh, the Horror Writers Association. Yes. And which kind of goes back to my whole thing about um, about writing the um, about writing the horror novel. But also the interesting thing about that is that you don't necessarily have to write just about horror. I mean, it could be, in, uh, in to some extent, it could be about the paranormal or mm-hmm. the unknown. But I joined it because of my interest in horror. So I'm counting the days until The Walking Dead come back. I mean, I'm, oh, I'm counting, I know. I'm counting the days. Are you but, looking yeah. forward to Fear the Walking Dead? I'm mixed. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I could probably decide after the first episode whether I'll continue. Oh, I'm the so. same way. I, I'm I'm really into Robert Kirkman's The Walking Dead. I'm a huge comic book fan. Oh, so, yeah. You know, I, I've been there since day one. Yes, yes. 
I've read the compendiums. I think they're volume one and volume two. It's it goes a little bit different than the TV show. So, but I like that. I like that. But uh, the Walking Dead's a great show. It is, and the so in fear of the Walking Dead better be a great show. Otherwise, it, you know, they might screw it up. Yeah, I hope they don't. But um, but no, I just I don't know. I do I do like the dark side, if you will. Not dark side as in demons or anything. But dark side <laughs> as in gallows humor or as in the, as in just like horror movies and shows and the things that make you go bump in the night. Right now I'm watching um, on Netflix American Horror Story. I love it. I have not seen it at I all. Had not, I had not seen it until about two weeks ago. And there's three seasons and each one's in a different setting, but it's the same actors. Um it's it's just interesting. Um, who's the off? Who's the actor who plays Spock in the new Star Trek? Zachary uh, Zachary something. Yes, he's in it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, and it's kind of interesting seeing all of the different um, characters that he plays. But but anyway. But but as for back for the back to the ghost book and the paranormal. Um, oh, I could do a whole separate show on um, on horror stuff. So. But we like to be scared. We do. We love to know what's going to happen to us after we die. Are, are we right. stuck here? Do we continue? You know, does our passions continue? Does our nightmares continue to haunt us after we're dead? They might. We'll find out one day. <laughs> uh, yes, we, we certainly will. That is something a lot of people want to know, and other people are too afraid to even ask. It's just part of the human condition to me. It's just it's the next step of the evolution. We're we're born, we grow up, we grow older, we pass on. Mm-hmm. We're butterflies. Then, yeah, there you go. That's one way of looking at it. I mean, it's just we are just seeing a small part of a metamorphosis. Exactly. I mean that that was I've I've said it here before many times that I had a. Uh, dream one night of Jesus that came to me and and essentially he told us that death was like becoming a butterfly that that in in our life we are caterpillars but when we die we become butterflies and that makes sense and and I I had that dream when I was like five years old and it stuck with me ever since then now I can't explain that Uh, sometimes but that's the interesting thing about it if you get if you get someone of like mind you don't have to explain it Mm-hmm. So I get it, and and somebody else that's have a similar mindset, they get it, and you don't have to explain or justify your thoughts. Yes. Now, Richard, uh, we are going to be probably ending the show in a few minutes, but is there anything you would like to share with the audience? Well, first of all, be open-minded, but not skeptical. I mean, but be skeptical about things. Not everything. <laughs> that you see is going to be paranormal, first of all. And second of all, um, enjoy it. It is all, it is a part of a human condition. Um, and enjoy, enjoy the history of it and be respectful. Um, be respectful of the places that um, you're visiting. Be respectful of the family members that, that may still be around that might be related to the, 
the ghost, be respectful to to yourself. I mean, it's and I know that sounds a little bit cliche, but we represent whenever we do an investigation, we represent the whole paranormal community. Um, what comes to mind is the Lebeau Plantation down in Louisiana. That was not paranormal investigation. So do the research, be straightforward to yourself, and be respectful of those people and things around you. And uh, before we let you go, I have one last question for you. If time travel were real, here and now, where would you go to and what would you do? Hmm. I would probably honestly go back to the 1800s and probably into what I've written about. I've always been attracted to the Civil War. So that how about that? Uh, that's nice. That reminds me of Somewhere in Time, I believe it was called. Oh, man. Christopher Reeve, right? Yes. That was a, yes. That's one of my favorite movies about time travel. Yes. I haven't thought about that in years. Well, now you've got to go watch it. I think I will. I think it's on Netflix. I thought I saw it there last night. I think I will watch it, but I'd say that would be it. I've, you know, when I started doing research for this book, I was absolutely attracted to it. Um, well, I was also attracted to Haunted Route 66 as well, but they, they have different flavors about them. Yes, they certainly do. Well, Richard, like I said, I appreciate it, and I hope you have a great night. If there's anything else you do want to share, just go ahead and put it out there. I think I'm good. I just um, if some again, if somebody wanted to reach me, um, they could email me at hauntedplantations at gmail dot com, or they could again uh, look at my Facebook page. It's Richard H Southall um, Facebook, and also if anybody wanted to, they could look um, at Llewell at Llewellyn dot com. Um, which is the publisher, or if they wanted to find a copy of the book themselves, they could also go to Amazon.com or go to their local uh, bookstore. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was Richard Southall. And if you are interested in reading his latest book, Haunted Plantations of the South, you can go to thefarside.tv slash hauntedplantations. And until next time, I bid you all a kind... Farewell. credit card bill.